everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. On the road to financial freedom, what kind of vehicle do you have? My name is Matt, and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking? I am terrific. Uh-huh. And uh, I, was, I was afraid I would have no beer for this episode, and literally, I opened my, my office door, mm-hmm. and door, and Laura was just entering the apartment with oh. beer. Seriously, I, I was like, oh my god, you're the best, so... I, I'm starting with um, Stranger American Pale Ale. It's left hand. It's from Left Hand okay. Brewing Company, and I just like I saw the name. I was like Stranger Danger. Just American, just a straight up American Pale Ale. Yes, sir. Uh cool. I never. I, I don't think I've had anything from Left Hand. Oh, I've had. I have a few. Yeah, you've had a few. They're pretty tasty. I'm actually drinking beer too. What? what? Yeah, I'm drinking. This is one of my favorites. Uh, you ever hear of Six Point Resin? Uh, I have. Yeah, Six oh my Point God. is damn delicious. Yeah, I think they're out of New York, and it's it's pretty high in alcohol. It's like nine point one percent. Yeesh, mm. very very hoppy, which is why they name it resin. So, um, <laughs> uh, if you guys have questions or beer recommendations, send them in. Listen, money matters at gmail dot com. And uh, catchphrases, of course. Today's catchphrase is, on the road to financial freedom, what kind of vehicle do you have? And that was sent in by Craig Collins, and we want you to send those in via Twitter. And our Twitter handle is at Money Matters Man. And, you know, today, we're going to start off like a new series, or we're, we're going to attempt to start a new series. We, th- we think that uh, it's important to know about money and stuff like that, but you also should have some rough economics understanding because a lot of it applies to the decisions you'll make. Yeah, so we're going to do like an Economics 101 series where we kind of dive into a little piece of economic interests, if you will. Mm. Uh, and we have a guest on the show today just to kick things off. And this is a guest we've had on the show before uh, on, a, on our Better Know a Millionaire series. And he was uh, awesome. Yeah, he was so awesome the first time back. around. He's actually started a podcast called Money for the Rest of Us, which I highly recommend you download in addition to this podcast since you're already listening. Uh, you might as well just keep the money train running in your head. Mm. Keep the I, money I just want to say, flowing. I think we should take roughly 100% credit for his podcast because <laughs> I think we, we muttered the, <laughs> uttered the word to him. when. <laughs> well, today's guest is J. David Stein with MoneyForTheRestOfUs.net. David, how are you today? I'm great, and I'll I'll give you plenty of credit for prompting me to start Yay! a podcast. It's really? excellent, by the way. It's very interesting. Right, and it's you. well recorded too. Well, if you, I could see your studio, and and you guys look very professional. If you saw my setup with my microphone hidden in the back of a box, you would know. Uh, <laughs> Is that I, how I need you to work block on the that. sound? But I try. Is that how you like create the uh, the non acoustics? Yes, mm. I, I do. And go at to least a very you know that. Yeah, I mean, it. you got to do what you got to do, so it works. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we want to talk to you about what Andrew's going to start off the conversation with, and that's <laughs> called... I, so, I, so we want to talk to you about sunk cost. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it's been coming up, I feel like, in, in my life, or people have been mentioning it, and when they say it, I actually... like Literally, the first thing that comes to mind is we had had you on the Better Know a Millionaire segment, and you were giving this analogy... Of the house that you had paid to have built, it uh, it lost some value, and uh, you th- decided that it was the prudent 
decision to to sell it because you want to put the money elsewhere, blah, blah, blah. And you explain the reasoning was based on sunk cost. And I think that um, maybe I was too timid to, to ask you what that meant. So I want to bring you back on and, and ask you, what does it mean? Yeah, it's one of those economic terms you can throw out and sound impressive and nobody yeah. really knows what it means. <laughs> right. But it, sunk cost, is, essentially it's a past cost that you can't recover. And it's a term that ec economics economists have used. And the, the problem is, it sounds good in theory. We're going to make a decision. So we have this past decision we've made. The money's gone. Forget about it and only look forward when making decisions. And, and, and the economists assume we're rational human beings. We don't, we're just, we're like automatons essentially. And, and that's not the case. It is very, very difficult to make a decision without thinking about the past. And that's, that's what leads to this concept called, you have sunk cost, which is what the traditional economists focused on. And then you have this whole other segment of economists called behavioral finance or behavioral economists. And they interject psychology and human emotion as they study economics. And, and their concept is what they call a sunk cost fallacy. And that's just recognizing that, hey, it's really, really hard to make a decision focusing only on the future. We very much cry over spilled milk, and that actually influences our decisions. So, and I can um, give you some examples of that if you want, or or if you have a question. Yeah. Well, I, I so I do want examples, but I just want to ask you. Um, so, it, you know, sunk costs. You know, you spent this money in the past, and you should look to the future. So, I have this car. Uh, I run over a nail. No, you don't. Oh, you're I being. Mean, oh, I, you're... I, I do have a car. Okay. But, you know. Uh, so I, you know, I I'm driving Matt's car, and I run over a nail and I pop the tire, and it's just stuck in the middle of the road in some weird place. And I'm like, well. You know, Matt spent the money, or I spent the money in the past, whatever, and just I could just leave it there and just get a new car. I mean, is, well, that, is, that's that'd be a great example. I mean, if you let's say you, well, it's something a little more serious. Let's say you blew the engine, mm -hmm. and and you've already put ten thousand dollars into that car in the last three years, and if you if you were truly focused only on sunk costs, you would say, hey, the money's gone. I can get a better deal on a car from my, my buddy who sells cars, and I'm going to leave it. Most so, people, though, don't do that. They say, I have $10,000 in this car already. It, I, I don't want to waste lose all that money. I'm going to go ahead and put the new engine in. And, and so that would be falling into that, that sunk cost fallacy because then you're letting the past influence your future decisions. And that's what most people do. I mean, that, that's, that's called being human. We experience regret. How do you know, like, where the line is, though? Because, I mean, the reason I picked the tire is because it's, like, overly dramatic. I mean, obviously, you could just replace a tire for, like, 100 bucks or less. But where, like, how do you, how do you know? I mean. Well, you, if you're, you're a traditional economist, you would say you never look at the past when making a decision. So you just always look at the future. You know, what, what's the future cost? Because the money's gone. In, in reality, you, wanna, you, you can look at it because we do. You can't avoid it. It's like if you say, I'm never going to think about the past when making a future decision, you just can't do it. And so what you have to do is, is recognize it and then don't make a suboptimal decision. In other words, 
if it's going to cost you three grand to put a new engine in, and this is not economic, just agree that the money's gone and and it's and it's sunk. And, and we, there's other more simple examples. I mean, when if you go and and you go pay a ticket and you go to a movie, it's terrible, mm-hmm. and and you're thirty minutes in and it's just awful. If you're focused on sunk costs, you're like, I spent that money. I'm not going to walk out. I already put the money in. Or you buy a bad pizza and it's it's terrible. I mean, you eat it anyway, because well, I spent the money. Those are all examples of letting past costs influence your future decision. And we'll we'll put up with stuff because we don't want to we don't want to accept the fact that we lost money. There's that feeling of regret, and it, it is very much focused on investments. See, you think, you think about uh, when you're investing. Let's say you, you you have two stocks. One of them you lost money on. And, and the other one, you've made money. So you lost 20% on one, you made 20% on one, and you need to raise some money to go, whatever, buy a car, or buy your new engine. Think about which stock would you be more likely to sell? Most people... Would, would cut the profits as opposed to the They losses. would take the gain. Mm. They would actually take the gain because they... That we do this mental counting. Well, I'm a good stock picker. I mean, that stock went well. And I'm going to go ahead and take the gain. And, and my other stock where I lost money, it's going to come back. So I'm just going to wait it out and, and wait for it recovers. When in reality, for most people, the more, more prudent decision would be to sell the one at a loss because you get the tax loss in terms mm-hmm. of the benefit of the taxes. And the reality is in, in the markets, stocks that have gone up or in an upward trend, they tend to continue. There's a momentum aspect of stock investing, and so it would actually be better to, to le- let your winners run and cut your losses. But the fact that people don't do it is, if you sell a stock where you lost money, it hurt because we have regret. You admitted you like, were well, wrong. We could have made a better decision, and, and mm-hmm. so people don't do it. I actually have a, um, a scenario, a, a real scenario, and I wonder if this is uh, falls along the same concept. Uh, and in order to keep this person hidden, I'm going to say it's a lady that I know and I'm related to. So your mom. <laughs> <laughs> you can deduce whatever you want. But she's in a job that she does not particularly like. But she is owed a lot of money from the company because of it's a, she's a saleswoman. And there's this money that will be paid to her in a certain amount of time, but it, when these uh, these deals finally go through, then she'll get her commissions. So she has all of this money. and Potential money. But, it's no, not, it's not hers yet. It's not hers yet until the deals close, but, it, but it, once they do, it will be. And she has a problem walking away from this job because of that money. Is this something along the same lines? Is this, is this an it, idea of that? It's, it's similar, but that, that would be what's called an opportunity cost. Hmm. So if she leaves, she's going to lose that she's future money. That. Yeah, right. So, so opportunity cost in the future. In your example, if there was no money involved, but at, let's say she was an attorney and she, she racked up 100 grand in student loans and put all this effort into learning to be an attorney, and now she's an attorney, she hates it. Right. Somebody yes. that, that falls in the sunk cost fallacy said, well... I put all this time in. I gotta, I gotta keep doing it, and so they'll just keep working in a the job they hate because of they, the investment of time they put in in the past. 
Right. And that that's not that doesn't sound like a good thing. Well, no, not if you're miserable, no. Right. But, so, but people do it because, again, we, we act trying to avoid that feeling of loss. If you've inve- invested all that money in the past, people don't want to say, I've given it up. Now, it seems like with a career, you would, no, people don't do it, though. <laughs> they just don't. Yeah. I don't. I'd say don't stay in a job you hate, you leave. But R- right. a and, lot of people don't. But you mentioned the, co- like, uh, you know, you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars going to be uh to get your mba or whatever to become a lawyer or whatever they get and then you end up going and getting that job and you hate it and then people just end up staying with it because they're like i i I spent i have all this debt now and i'm spending all this money i I gotta do it and they're miserable but to me it seems like money is they they put more value on money than they do on their you know life they well they do We, we we do we keep score is what we do and we keep score with money. Right. And so people are always sort of doing this mental accounting and what's my score? How much I put into it? What am I going to give up if I leave? And, but yeah, so it can be both money and time. But yeah, I agree with you. People should just leave. So that you think the way those behavioral economists think? I do. Would I you do. consider I, yourself more in the, you know, you fall along those lines? Yeah, because I, I've seen that there's truisms there. I mean, it, it, that's just the way we function. And that's how I invest in general. I, I am very cognizant of the level of fear and greed in the market. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that we talk about sunk cost, but we also tend to think that what's going on will go on forever. So we're very short-sighted. So in, in, a, very, in a bear market, people think it's going to last forever. Mm. And, and they don't, we're not very good at looking out over long distances. And why, and why do you think that is? I, I just think we're very emotional. And we're very short-term focused. We're very emotional. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I just think it's the way we're built. Now, and, I mean, if you talk to anthropologists, they'll come up with some theory how it relates to our, our caveman upbringing. But I... I, right. <laughs> I mean, what, and there's probably some truth to that. Yeah. And you I mean, know, we, I, we, we not really adapted to the world we live today. I mean, we, we're... It's, it's still it's, very new. Things I mean. happen very fast. Oh, yeah. Very, very complex. Oh, yeah. And we're just so we use these sort of these shortcuts, and these shortcuts often lead us to make suboptimal decisions. Yeah, I um that's that's true, and I happen to agree with that. And as far as you know, I'm I'm thinking about I don't know what I'm thinking about. Use your words, Matt. Use my words. Uh, so, so some costs, I mean, to, to generalize it is money you paid for something that you just let go. Like you, you basically it's a loss. If it's gone, right. If yeah. it's gone, that's a sunk cost, right? Yeah. So, uh, right now, I don't know if, if, I mean, I'm, I'm sure maybe you can shed some light on what's going on right now with the economy because, uh, I got a text from my brother who says that Dow Jones just got recently got hit. And there's, uh, he's, he says, he, you know, he told me I'm losing money in betterment. And I told him, you're technically not <laughs> losing any money. You haven't sold anything yet. Well, do you have any insight on what's going on? Like, it, I mean, I assumed, uh, that it's because of what's going on in the world right now. Everything's kind of in shambles. Well, first off, he's losing money in betterment, right? right? I mean, if, and this is a, this is a perfect example. If it went down in value, he lost money. Now he didn't. 
necessarily close out and realize the loss, but mm -hmm. a loss is a loss in my mind. Now, that's where you get into sunk costs because people don't sell losing investments because in their mind, well, I haven't really lost the money unless I sell it. Well, if you need the money, I mean, the value of the account's down. In terms of what's driving it, it it's, this, it's this fear thing again. There, if you actually look at the economy, it's improving globally. I mean, generally speaking, if you look at the surveys, we, it was kind of a slow period and it's picking up. And the most recent GDP or the gross domestic product in the U.S., for example, was 4% in the second quarter. What's got people a little spooked is at some point, it, you know, as the economy improves, the Fed is going to increase Raise interest rates. rates. And, yeah. and there's a whole question, the timing of when that's going to happen. And that would be one example. But, you know, the reality is nobody has a clue why the market's going down. It's just volatility was very low. Investor, I did a, a podcast episode a, a few weeks ago on our investors complacent, and they really are. I mean, they they were just sort of biding their time. If you look at sort of some of the risk assets in terms of the stocks, had got pretty pricey in terms of the great example is non-investment grade bonds or junk bonds. The yield differential between between that and Treasuries was narrow as it has ever been and just you know indicators like that that investors are complacent and when investors are complacent it doesn't take much for pe people to get freaked out and then then they notice their betterment accounts and then some are selling and and that just happens it's just one of those cycles but the underlying strength of the economy is actually pretty good so we're not in a i mean it's still it's not booming but it's not by any means going into a recession so if you had something like Betterment, which is, for lack of a better term, it's like the the average of averages, right? A bunch of indexes. Um, would, if you were in that situation or where you had a, a fair amount in something like that, um, would you see like a situation that we're in now as an opportunity in, in that, you know, people are fleeing, maybe not for sound reasons, and maybe you'd go in further to, to kind of sweep up the gains as things balance back out? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and honestly, that, that's one of the concerns I have. I, I like Betterment. And I, I think that, that in some of their competitors, Perfect Capital, they, they do a good job. I think one of the risks of their business model is they have attracted a lot of money from clients that don't that believe the stock market goes up seven percent a year every year and just aren't don't realize it's normal for the market to sell off 20 percent now i don't think it's sold off enough personally my personal investment it hasn't sold off uh, off enough that i would move back in i'm waiting <laughs> i was sort of wait I, and i do it a very different i mean i i don't have any u.s stocks right now other than mm. some energy because the way I invest in the U.S. stock market, because it's, it's priced very high, is, is I wait for people to get very, very fearful. And then when it reverses, then I'll just buy some futures or options on future contracts. So then I'll just add the exposure. But I don't recommend that for people because it, I, I'm so, skittish. I mean, you talk about well, I, So I remember when we talked about your, your situation that you are, for, for lack of a better term, retired. And you, you're trying to make the wealth that you've built 
last. So you don't we don't want to take risks such that you'll lose your your egg. Well, exactly. I um, I target six percent return, five to six percent return. So and I can't afford to lose twenty percent in the market. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, because. Um, Twenty percent is like a year, like an individual year thing, or a span of three or so year type situation. Um, and then on the flip side, if you look at the the post two thousand eight, we had a, a quite a long, beautiful, sexy run of thirty percent, fifteen percent. Like it, we're we're now higher than where we were pre crash. Oh, absolutely right. And, so, and the no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, and the problem is much of that appreciation has not been. You now, some of it's been earnings coming back. A lot of it has been, but a lot of it has been investors being willing to pay more for earnings that are there. You know, they're paying more for stocks. The valuations are high, mm-hmm. and you can justify it. Say, well, interest rates are low. So that when rates are low, you can afford to pay a higher multiple or a higher price earnings ratio for stocks. And that's part of the concern is, well, as rates go up, then if you're going to follow that logic, the valuations should go down or the amount investors are willing to pay for those stocks should drop. And, and that's sort of some of the gyrations going on. And then you got political things in Ukraine. I mean, that's influencing it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's always something. I mean, that's the thing about the stock market. Would you consider which is yourself? Why I used to be a strategist, and people would ask me all the time why the market would go up. And, and my job was to come up with plausible reasons for why things were happening. Would now you that I don't have that a, job, I, yeah. I recognize nobody has a clue. You were like a meteorologist. Essentially, and that's because people pay. When, when it comes down to it, why do people pay investment managers? They're paying them to predict the future. Mm-hmm. And, and so they want them to be come up with and tell them stories i mean that yeah. predict the future and tell reasonable stories for why things are happening and and it's hard to do um i want to go back on sunk cost for a second because uh another example comes to mind uh per- marketing i'm in i'm in marketing there's a lot of sunk costs that happen in marketing right because well, yeah you're right. you're basically in and in, in you some would call it an investment which it could be but say if you're uh, putting money into promoting a brand name, you're not promoting a product, you're not directly making money off of that thing, you're just... You're saying like a Coca-Cola ad with the polar bears. Yeah. Oh, well, no. Actually, no. I'm saying just like uh, the, the, the logo Coca-Cola on a billboard. It's oh, just okay. reinforcing the brand, but it's not specifically selling a product. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be considered some, that would be considered some cost, right? Because you're putting money into something that doesn't directly influence... A return. Well, it, yeah, it's an example of sunk cost, but it, it doesn't come into play unless somebody, let's say a company comes and offers 20% premium over the value of, of your company's stock, right? They want to take you out and close down your brand. Mm-hmm. Apple wants to buy you. Right. All right. Somebody that lets sunk cost influence them saying, well, I, I have a lot of money building this brand. We put a lot of time into this. Uh, I don't know if I want to give that up, even though they have an offer on the table at a, at a help hefty premium see and, and i'm also thinking of research and development right so um for instance there's a company uh that i'm very fond of which is dogfish head brewery in delaware and uh the guy sam Calagioni, who's the you know the owner of it he's the head of r&d so he's the guy who gets 
you know, they get a lot of money, and he goes out and he makes beers. And sometimes those beers don't make any money because they end up turning out tasting like shit for the most part. So all that money is wasted. But you know, they're they're saying, okay, well, we spent you know X amount of dollars, you know, creating this product. Let's just put it out there and see what happens. No, instead they're they're so focused on quality control that they say, you know what, uh, we're gonna we're gonna trash this, and we you know whatever that money was, like it's kind of wasted. But maybe they learned something from it. Well, that's a great. That's an example of not letting sunk cost influence your decisions. Yeah, and the right? same. And they got. Yeah. And you got to have a. It sounds like they have a process in place to be able to do that. And I mean, there's ways to overcome these sunk cost fallacies. In fact, there was an academic study that came out last year that that found that the best way to not let sunk cost trip you up and make bad decisions is that they use really a Buddhist term, mindfulness. In other words, mm. focus on the present. Don't. And, and they they were suggesting meditation, so I'm not I'm not saying you do this, but I suspect that that those that do a lot of meditation have less issues with sunk costs because they, they can focus on the now. They're mindful. They're not. I mean, they certainly look out to the future, but they don't let those past mistakes and that regret influence their decisions in you know a way what? that's yeah. detrimental to them. And that's I feel like that's how I am because I I mean I meditate every day. I don't think it adds to my financial life at all but i i look at those uh sunk costs as an opportunity you know i always try to i i try to take those issues and turn them into positives right you know so if i spent money on a bad movie oh i learned that i don't like that movie or i don't like that actor or i didn't like that director right or or something i learned something even though that's a kind of a a bad example uh but you know, especially, and we we have it here on the podcast. We've done, we've put money into things that you know, like Didn't Facebook work. ads. Yeah, sunk so much money in the Facebook ads, and and after what months and months of these ads going out, we realized like none of these people don't actually make to it to yeah. our site. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's the same experience I had with Facebook ads. Yeah, in the past. But you learn something, right? So you say to yourself, okay, what do we learn from this experience? You right. know, how do how can we how can we make our business better by what we learned from this. And it can go into your personal life too. So you can you use the car example, you know, your car breaks down, you know, your engine's shot, uh, and you you know, let's say you decide, okay, I'm gonna go buy a new car and just eat the cost of that. What did you learn from it? Well, I learned not to buy a Geo Metro. <laughs> you know, or or whatever the case may be. Or I learned not to drive No one bought a Geo Metro. <laughs> <laughs> I learned not to drive hundred miles an hour on the turnpike. You know, or I learned something. You know, I feel like you should try to take these as learning experiences. And it's a great attitude. I mean, and that's a great way to mentally frame your decisions so that it doesn't. Because what you're doing is you're, you're being logical. In other words, you're, 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 mm-hmm. it's sort of the book you referred to the past couple episodes, Thinking Fast and Slow by Dan Kahneman. Yeah. And he talks all about that, but he talks about. You have the fast part of your brain and the slow part, or the hot and the cold, and there's different ways to describe it. But the non-emotional part of you is saying, "All right, let me think about this logically. What have I learned? What can I learn from this experience? Now I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to be mindful, make a mindful decision." Mm-hmm. It's when we rely on that part of ourselves that's very emotional at that we can trip ourselves up. Now, there's times you you want emotion to 
like if something's like a bear, like Roundabout here in Idaho, if a bear's coming at you, that is not the time to logically think about the situation. Yeah. The time to let the emotions kick in and make the decision. Right. That's the time to drop to the ground and stay still. Exactly. Not run. Right. Not run. Uh, and, and what's the word loss aversion as used also? Yeah, well, loss aversion is, is just this concept that we hate to take losses. I mean, we, we, don't, we just I mean, do, every, you talk we do about everything your, we can to avoid your, it. It was your brother, brother-in-law, right? I mean, his account is down. Yeah. If you ask him, I mean, it, it, we don't like that feeling. And, and we do everything we can to avoid it. We beat yeah. ourselves up. I mean, I, I beat myself up all the time when I make a mistake Still? investing. Yeah, because I don't like the feeling of it. I hate to lose money. Mm-hmm. And in part, in part of it's coming out of 08, where having lost 30% of my clients' money at the time mm-hmm. and, and getting beat up a lot from partners. And I'm not, it, yeah, people question you all the time when you manage money. I mean, that, that's their job, right? right? They're right. paying you money. They expect you to be able to predict the future. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I just find that I don't, I don't suffer losses very gracefully. Interesting. Andrew, you got anything else you want to add? Any questions? Um, if I, if I may, just sidetrack real quick off sunk cost. Um, do you, do you consider yourself a bear? No, no i I consider myself an opportunist. So I don't try to predict the future. I do what's called, well, I call it living on the leading edge of the present. I do. I want to know what's happening now. And react to markets on what's happening now. And right now, the level of fear has kicked in. Mm-hmm. Markets are down, spreads are widening, interest rates are actually falling. And mm-hmm. and I kind I'm kind of excited because I mean I still have a lot of cash right now, so I'm I'm probably forty percent cash. And so when wow. people get fearful, I like that. Now I'm going to wait to see if this is a, a downward trend if it continues. I I don't think it will be. I think in a couple of weeks. Things the fall is actually season seasonality is a very yeah. I was going to ask does the summer have anything to do with it? Yeah. Oh, okay. people go on vacation in August, so yeah. a lot of traders are gone. So yeah. you don't have a lot of volume. Uh, Congress is overseas. gone. Yeah, and Which so is probably the best kind of the summer doldrums. Yeah, and and typically one of the research services I use is is called Ned Davis, and and they've done studies that show that after World Cup volatility increases. So volatility tends mm-hmm. to be very low during the World Cup because everybody's focused on their team. Mm-hmm. And then, then when the World Cup's over, volatility tends to, to spike. And we're seeing that. Yeah. I don't know if it's true in this case, but I mean, there's... So my hope is things will bottom out here and it'll be an opportunity. Okay. So okay, I, I just... Not to get into like a whole thing, but I really... Um, I focused on when you said uh, the, the whole... Seven percent piece, and uh, I'm curious. I want to hear just your thoughts on that because my thought is that yes, there there are times like 2008 where you lose like this dramatic amount of money, but then there was what was it last year or was it last year the year before where like it, the market on average was up 30 percent, and I know that down 30 percent, up 30 percent is is not the same, but um. For people who are looking long term, I, I know that you're much more active than most. Like, what what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you, do you not believe that on average we were going to get seven percent? Depends on when you start investing. In other words, somebody that starts mm-hmm. now, 
right? And I actually did an episode on this on, on what should expectations be for New stock market. Yeah. And, and the place to start is the current dividend yield. Well, if dividend yields 2%, all right, that, that's guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. And then how fast will the economy grow? Because corporate profits over time tend to follow whatever the economy is doing on a nominal basis. So the economy is growing, let's say, 4%, which is basically what it's averaged pre-inflation the last, you know, since the recovery, about 4%. So 2% real, 4% nominal. That's a 6% return right there. And then you got the wild card is what are investors willing to pay for those corporate earnings? Right now, they're paying 20 times. And if they decide 10 years from now that you only want to pay 15, there's no way you're going to get a 6% return. It's going to be less than that. Now, if you're continuing to invest every month in your Betterment account or whatever, then as the market sells off, then you're then you're averaging. But no, I, I think 7%, you know, maybe. I mean, if, if it's diversified, you have some emerging markets, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're diversified but, with emerging markets and you're continually contributing, say $100 yeah. every month, do you think yeah, it's I mean, then I, reasonable? I think 6 7% is reasonable, assuming one doesn't panic and, and <laughs> right. sell at the bottom right, and buy right. at the top, which we're prone to do. It happens. But, but I, yeah, so I, I don't, and I think that's a, you know, a buy and hold strategic allocation is a reasonable strategy if one is patient and doesn't let things like sunk costs trip them up. But I, I that, have to, well, I have to say though that it's a relief you say that because most of these numbers we just pull out of our ass. So I'm glad well, that we're. <laughs> well, I know, and I've heard you say seven percent before, and sometimes I, I listen to it and I thought, I hope he doesn't mean seven percent every year. No, no, no. I, mean, and I know you don't. It could, but it the could be misconstrued that way. That. I, that's why I think it's important that we we kind of talked about this because yeah. we definitely don't want it to be misleading because there are no, down not. years. And yeah, and we talk about long term investing for sure. Right. No, it, it has to be based on a continual. I mean, I don't think the next ten years. We started today. Returns will be seven percent. What do you think they'll be? Okay, at? I said if you put a dollar, a thousand dollars invested today, ten years from now, based on, I mean, the only way, the only because it's all math, right? The only right. way that you're going to get seven percent, just a one-time investment, not not dollar cost average again, just going to invest today. What will my annualized return be ten years from now? The only way it can happen is the economy grows much faster than it is currently. Or people are willing to pay more for stocks. In other words, valuations are going to go higher than they are today. Mm-hmm. So we, we could, using the information we know now, um, that, that could be true. But what about technological progress? I mean, it's been pretty dramatic the past few years. The, the iPhone could be embedded in our foreheads oh, well, that, next and, year. And, I, mean, I can't well, wait. Exactly, but the, what's got to, what's got to grow is is corporate profits. Yeah, because that's what's going to drive the stock market. Right. Now we might be very smart with our chip in our head, but if <laughs> corporate profits aren't going up, right, then we're in trouble. All right. Well, I mean, uh, you get sunk costs now, Andrew. I do. I do. I feel like I, you know, and now I'm going to go to dinner parties. And I'm just going to say the word sunk cost. Just to sound and, pe- cool. and people are gonna be like, "You, we're not worthy, man." <laughs> I mean, I look for. Uh, I mean, things like loss aversion, sunk cost. I mean, I mean the fallacies in those. I mean, come on, guys. 
So I, I do want to say real quick that uh, this is this is why I like um, your podcast because you kind of go on these topics and then you know you talk about your thoughts. Um, I mean, the only thing is you just don't have us, you know. But uh, I don't because technologically I have not been able to figure out how to do an interview. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah. So I've, well, I just well, then you I don't have any guests because I then I'd have to do an interview and have to get the sound balance all right and. Well, we happen to have an expert. Yeah, I will. I, I would be happy to help you through that. It's right, actually way easier than you think. It probably is. So when I'm ready to do that, you guys will be. You'll be first. Yeah, just just give me an email, and I'll uh, I'll definitely help you help you with it. Sounds good for sure. All right, David, thank you so much for coming on again. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And good luck with the podcast. It's moneyfortherestofus.net, and you can search for it on iTunes. Money for the rest of us, and uh, it's cool. It's got a blue and white cover. You can't miss it. It's in uh, new and noteworthy right now. Hopefully it stays there. It was in the top ten. Yeah, it was in, uh, at yeah. least a day or two ago when I was looking. Yeah, yeah, killing it. It does well on weekends. I'm not sure why. So uh, somehow on Saturdays, I guess. Maybe more people are listening to investing stuff on Saturdays when the markets close. That that could be. Could and be not it. the traders, right? The trader podcasts do better during the week. Yeah. And apparently, the longer term investors listen on weekends. There so. you go. Who knows. There you go. Well, uh, guys, if you have any questions about any of this stuff, you can send us an email. It's listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. You know that we say it all the time. And uh, if you like the show, of course, you can leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or both. You can do it both. Copy and paste. Throw it on each one. And I'm going to read just a quick um, review here from Chain Ring 2 from the United States. Great podcast. Five stars. I love the, uh, I'm going to wait. Hold on. I'm going to preface this by saying mm. it's another like Dave Ramsey style review we get a lot of uh, i don't know I'll what that just, means yeah but. i know i'll tell you i love this podcast it is informative and entertaining i listen to dave ramsey and attend financial peace university at a local church this podcast is very informational in a day-to-day manner for people that might not want the religious aspect of dave ramsey i love the episodes on drinking on a budget it is a great podcast in its own right, and I guess it doesn't even need to be compared to any other show or podcast. Great job, guys. And that's from someone who actually attends Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Mm. So, if you listen to Dave Ramsey, you can listen to us, too. Even though we might give him, a, we might rib him a little bit here and there, but... It's not an exclusive relationship. No, although, there's no know. such thing. You can listen. If we, to if, we, if we find out you're cheating on us, <laughs> no. Don't you can even. listen to us. You can listen to Money for the Rest of Us. You can listen to Dave Ramsey and and everybody else. I mean, th- th- there's plenty of podcasts, and uh, if you got a long commute to work, there's plenty of information out there. And uh, mm. you know, I uh, listen to other podcasts. Yeah, so. other financial podcasts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I listen to like six or seven podcasts, so plenty out there. If you, if you need a longer podcast, Hardcore History. There you go. It's, it's three, four, <laughs> four plus hours. Have you heard that, David? Have you heard that podcast? No, I haven't. Uh, I, it's like I, the top five podcasts of all time in iTunes. And it's pretty damn epic. It's ridiculous. It? I'll have yeah. to listen to it. I've not. I, I've listened to Radical Personal Finance. They like He likes to do very long. He'll talk for yeah. two, three hours. Yeah. Oh, wow. On, uh, but I mean, that's a different market, right? Some yeah. people like to listen. Mm. They have very long drives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going. I'm gunning for the people with short drives. Yeah, so are we. <laughs> yeah, short, short drives every single day. We're gunning for the people who are going grocery shopping. <laughs> right. <laughs> so check out our website, listenmoneymatters.com, and uh, check out moneyfortherestofus.net. And David, thank you again for coming on the show. Good thanks. All right, thanks guys for hanging out. We look forward to the next episode later. Later. <laughs> <laughs>